here and to share your word, Father God. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through me today. I ask that the Holy Spirit would anoint my lips, that he would bring forth the word of God. I thank you in power and in might, Father God, and I just thank you for clarity, Father God. I thank you for uh, peacefulness that rests upon us in this congregation, Father God, and all who would hear the word. I thank you, Father God, that it will bring light into our lives, that it brings revelation and knowledge, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you would find um, Luke chapter 1, the opening of this is kind of a little bit all over the place, but um, in Luke chapter 1, uh, how many of you remember the story of uh, the birth of John? You know, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were his parents, and uh, Zacharias was the, he was a, a priest, and he, when, um, when Elizabeth was uh, going to have the baby, he went in and he was doing his duties in the temple, and when he came out, he couldn't speak for months. So he, you know, would write notes to Elizabeth, and that's how they would communicate. And it came down to the time of the naming of their child, their, their male child, and, he, you know, the Lord had said, name him John. And everybody was saying, you know, oh, no, you can't do that because, you know, John isn't a name that's in your family. You should name him after yourself or, you know, somebody who's in your family because that's tradition. And Elizabeth said, no, his name's John. And as she was naming him, and as, you know, Zechariah was, was naming him, um, the Lord loosened his, his tongue and he was able to speak. And, you know, the presence of God was so strong upon him. You know, he'd been not speaking for so long that he just had a lot he had to get out, right? And so uh, starting in like about verse 66 or so, it starts to go through all that he says. But where I really want to go is um, down here around verse 76. Because this is where he starts to talk about Jesus. Um, John was, of course, the forerunner before Jesus. And it says, And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. You shall go for, uh, before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people uh, uh, by the remission of sins, uh, through the tender mercies of God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those of us who sit in darkness or give light to them who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, so, you know, that's a prophecy concerning Jesus. When, when we're talking about verse 78, it says where the day spring um, from on high has visited us, that word day spring is actually, it means um, a light from dawn. It's a, it's a signifying of a whole new time. And, you know, when Jesus, Jesus came, he walked the earth, he changed everything. And one of the things that I really like about this, this scripture and why I wanted to start with it is it says that um, in verse 79, to give light to them who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, that word peace is the word irony. And really, I want you to keep this in mind, you know, as we're going through um, this whole whole thing. But the word irony uh, speaks of wholeness and completeness. It speaks of uh, tranquility that is unaffected by outward circumstances or pressures. And I don't know, I, like I said, I don't know if you guys have heard, there's an election that's taking place and there's a lot of outward pressures. There's a lot of circumstances. You know, the, the nation is really divided, really, really divided. Um, some, some, a lot of people that I've been talking to, um, you know, some are for Clinton, some are against, some are for Trump, some are against, some are not for either one. And one thing that I find in talking to people, and I don't really like to talk politics very much at all. It's not my thing. 
but but one thing that I do find is people are really passionate and people are really convinced, you know, one way or the other right now. And that's kind of a little bit scary because on Tuesday we're going to have an election and people are going to cast their votes and the votes are going to be counted and a result is going to come forth. And I don't know if any of you follow baseball at all. Uh, we just went through a big World Series. Yeah. The, the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series in 108 years. Uh, I was talking to Christine about that, and you know, the last time they won the World Series, there's only 46 states in the United States. The telephone and the television, neither one of them had been invented yet. So it just gives you an idea of how long you know, that, that tends to go. But there were people who were passionate about wanting the Cubs to win, and man, they were just you know, hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, because they'd been down this road so many times, and, and it's, you know, all over the country, people were just so excited. Well, the other side of it was Cleveland Indians. They hadn't won in like 47 or 48 years. And their fan base was just as passionate. They were so excited, you know, and, and it came down to game seven of the World Series, winner take all. And so they played and the Cubs got ahead. And this isn't even in my notes, but the Cubs got really far ahead, right? And it was Wednesday night. And so we came to church, right? <laughs> and they were ahead five to one before church started. And I was thinking, oh, this game's over. It's five to one, right? So then we leave. We leave church, and we start to drive home. And I was like, oh, yeah, the game's on. I should see who won. Well, nobody had won. They were still in, like, the eighth inning. Baseball goes on for a long time, <laughs> right? But they had tied the game. It was five to five. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, people are probably freaking out right now. They're so intense. These fan bases are so intense. People who don't even care about baseball, me included, were really starting to follow and really getting into it. And it was game seven, winner take all. And then they go to the ninth inning, and I'm driving to go get dinner, and I'm just like, wow, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, you know, the announcers are so good at what they do. They're just like pulling you in and giving you the emotion, and you're just like feeling all tense. And it's like, I don't even have a rooting interest in this, but I'm really into it. And then the ninth inning comes, and, and the, the last out is, and they're still tied. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what drama. This is just amazing. How could it possibly get better? Oh, the rain starts to fall. It's after midnight, and the rain starts to fall, and the ground screw comes out and covers the field. What? <laughs> now you have to wait. Well, that's kind of where we're at right now, I feel, as a country. We're standing there, you know, maybe the rains are starting to fall, maybe we're covering the country, and we're at a position right now where everybody wants to know what's going to happen, and we're so close to finding out, because I don't know how you guys feel about this, but elections seem to go on forever, right? I feel like that's really where we're at right now. So for those of you who don't know, the Cubs ended up winning. Um, there was only a 17-minute rain delay, and I think that was the grace of God. Because I think if it would have gone on, they, they were talking about immediately, oh my gosh, you know, what if this rain continues and this big storm comes and they have to delay it till the next day? Well, people had waited for 108 years. They were, nobody was leaving that stadium. I read stories afterwards of people who had been Cubs fans for their entire lives that were dying in the hospital and just simply refused to die until they found out what had happened. And within minutes of the time where the Cubs had won the World Series, they died. P 
people had gone to graves to be with, with parents who were Cubs fans. I mean, they were passionate about things. And why am I getting on this? But they were passionate about things. And they were sitting at the graveside listening to the game on the radio with their, their deceased parents, you know, in, their, in the presence of the body of their deceased parents and waiting for the, the Cubs to win or the Cubs to lose, <laughs> depending on which side I guess you were really on. But the, the whole reason I, I was thinking about this is because um, one, one of the prophecies concerning Jesus, the, one of the earliest prophecies concerning Jesus was to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I think that right now we're on the precipice of a major, major event. I don't, like I said, I don't follow politics and I don't, they're not my thing, but I really feel like this country is at a turning point. And I've talked to some people that, you know, I, I talk to people who are not very passionate about politics simply because I don't want to hear just one side. I want to hear both sides. Does that make sense? And people are equating this to the Civil War. People are saying that that's how close we are. That's how divided we are. You know, in the Civil War, 2% of America's population were killed. It was uh, 600,000 people uh, died on both sides. Uh, 2% of the world's, uh, of the country's population, all because of a, a simple difference of opinion, you know, matter of law. And I just think I was praying about this and I thought, God, where are we at? Where are we at as a country? What's going to happen when this country decides? Some are going to be very, very upset and some are not, depending on who you're going for. Everybody's going to care because it's going to affect everybody. There's not going to be anybody who, who doesn't care. But it just made me think, you know, Lord, this is such a, a dark and dangerous time. How can I relate this to anything? How, how, what, what should we be keeping our eyes on? What should we be keeping ourselves fixed on? And the Lord, the, the first place he took me was uh, Acts chapter um, 27. And I'm going to go, you can turn to Acts chapter 27, but... I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. Uh, Paul, he was, you know, sent to the Gentiles, and he was ministering to the Gentiles. And, and before Paul came, there really was no ministry to the Gentiles. Everything was strictly, you know, to the Jews, everything. And so he'd gone out, and he'd begun to, to minister, and he'd begun to see great things. And, and Peter actually had a, had a thing in Acts chapter 10, so he had a little bit of relation to this. But what was going on in Acts chapter 21 was they were having a meeting of the of the elders of the church, and they were all getting together to kind of talk about this Gentile thing, because God was moving among the Gentiles, and nobody, nobody understood why. Nobody knew how to, how to relate or deal with it. So what do you do? You get the elders of the church all together, and you have a meeting, and you talk about what's going on, and you figure out what's going to happen. And so Paul went, and he related everything, and they said, oh, this is a good thing. The hand of God is in this. This is a good thing. And then Paul said, well, there's five people that are here, and I'm going to take them into the temple because they have all the requirements for this vow to be made. And so he took them into the temple. But the problem was those five people were Gentiles. Those five people, they had fulfilled all the requirements of the law. But when the Jewish people, the Jewish religious people, saw that Paul had brought Gentiles into the temple and defiled the temple, well, now there's big, big problems. And so an uproar gets created in the city. And so Paul then has to give a defense. And so Acts chapter 22 is him standing up in front of the crowd and he gives his defense and, and he lays it all out and he talks about how, you know, God is good and God is for all. And, and, you know, everybody's just like 
in an uproar. They won't even listen to him. And so all the rest of, all the way to Acts 27 is him um, being taken and he's going to Rome. He's on his way to go before the, the, the leader of the land. And he's going to go and even prophets are coming and telling him, you know, Agabus tells him in the same way that, you, that this, this girdle, this belt is bound my wrist is the way that you're going to be bound and led in, into Rome. And, and he won't be dissuaded from it. He won't be stopped from going and doing what he knows God has said to do. And so in Acts 27, he's on a ship and he's on his way. And uh, we're going to go all the way down to, gosh, I haven't got there yet. I've been talking too much. Um, we're going to go all the way down to, uh, let's go about like verse 20. Oh, well, we'll go a little higher than that. Pastor Peggy does this all the time, right? So you guys are used to this? All right, so um, let's go like maybe about verse 13. It says, and when the south wind blew softly, what? It, okay, so quick quick little backstory. Um, they're sailing. They come to a place. They decide that it's kind of kind of a big decision needs to be made. Do we continue on because winter is coming and there's going to be great big storms? Or do we not continue on? Well, they come to the city and they don't like the city because it's not a very good place to spend the winter. So the captain of the ship and the centurion who's in charge of all the soldiers, they're, they're discussing all this. And then in uh, verse, verse four, 13, it says, And when the south wind blew softly, they supposed that they'd obtained their purpose. They decided to go on and go to Crete. Um, but not long afterwards, there arose a, a tempest, tempestuous wind called a Eurcladian. And when the ship was caught, it could not bear into the wind, and they let her drive. Now, all this time before this, Paul has been telling them, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. You're captive. You don't have any right to even speak. But as they start going, and you start reading this, it says they were running upon an island called Claudia. Um, much had come to the boat. Uh, when they were taken, they, they used helps. They undergirded the ship. What those were was giant ropes to help undergird the ship they they ran ropes to hold it together and then they come to a certain place uh, about the th third day verse 19 they cast out with their hands the own tackling of the ship and when neither sun nor stars appeared in many days and no small tempest in other words this was not a little storm it says all hope was gone that we should be saved all hope was taken away and God was like you know this is kind of where a lot of people feel like we're at they're at a place where we don't know what's going to happen we all know we're in the middle of a storm. We all know that it's much bigger than what we possibly could have anticipated. I mean, I remember in the beginning of this campaign, people were mocking and ridiculing both of the candidates. There's no way they're going to get, you know, elected. Oh, and, and, you know, bad. And now a year later, you know, two years later, we're two days away from somebody getting elected that we couldn't have even seen. But... That was, the, that was the place. Now, now you're at a place where, in the natural, where's your hope? Where is it? So after a long abstinence, what I thought was really interesting about this is that people who didn't believe in God began to fast. That's where you know that people are in trouble. When they start fasting, when people start fasting, when people that you know don't believe in God start praying, that's when you know things are difficult. Things are, are in real trouble. And yet Paul, in all this, he, he's continuing to, you know, he's going along with what they're saying, but he just is, I could just see him just sitting there shaking his head. You know, I told you. 
I told you, I told you. And then as you get down here in uh, verse uh, 27 or 25, he says, um, well, 24, it says, fear not, um, Paul, I must, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar because this is what the angel of the Lord is telling him. Wherefore, sirs, uh, be of good cheer because I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And, you know, in, in this time, one thing that people are looking for is anything that isn't shifting, anything that isn't moving, anything that's fixed and stable. Because we're in the middle of a great big huge storm and everything is being shaken. Everything is moving and people need some sort of stability. And so what they're looking for is somebody like us who will stand up and say, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, because I believe God and it shall be as he has told me. What has God told us about this time? You know, it's one thing to stand up and say, I believe it's going to be just like what God told me. But if we haven't heard from God, we don't really know, right? I think this was a place where um, one of our favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29, is from. You all know where I'm going with Jeremiah 29, right? Verse 11, right? And what does it say? Does anybody know? There you go. It says that God has plans for us, right? It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, plans of good and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end, right? But let's go ahead and let's turn there real quick. Because there's something that I think is really, really important that often gets overlooked. And, you know, verse 11 is what we, what we cling to. It's what we hope for. It's our highest hope. But we always skip 1 through 10. We just want to go automatically to verse 11. And one of the things that um, really is interesting is reading the Bible out of context. You know, you can grab any scripture. I remember when I first got saved, um, I went to a college and career group, and the teacher taught me something that I'll never forget. And he said, you can make the Bible say anything, anything you want. All you got to do is just pull something out of, out of context. All you got to do is just read just one little scripture and not read everything else that goes on around it. So I encourage you, when you're studying the Bible, find out what's going on. That's why it's important to know time and context. Because a lot of the things that, that are said in the Bible, they, they really make a lot of sense when you understand you know, the time that it's being said, the people that it's being spoken to, the chapter before, the chapter after a lot of times. Don't just grab just one little scripture and run with it and make it the cornerstone of your life. Understand where it's coming from. So let's go to um, Jeremiah chapter 29. I want to read to you verses 1 through 10. So you can see where this great scripture comes from. And, and believe me, I'm not diminishing the power of Jeremiah 29, but I want you to understand where it comes from. It says, Now these were the words of the, of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders, which were carried away as captives, and to the priests and to the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from as, as captives from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this gives you a good idea of what's going on. Babylon was the, the evil empire. You know, if you, if, you, if you listen to some preachers, Babylon always talks about the flesh. And Nebuchadnezzar was an evil king. And what's happened? Well, they've been carried away as captive. And all their priests and, and all their prophets... And all these people are all captive. And then verse 2, it goes on, it says, After Jeconiah, the king and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were all departed from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's their holy city. Everybody's gone. They've been overrun. 
Now the land, uh, by the hand of Alesa, the son of Shapan uh, and Garama, which they should just call him Joe and Bob and Fred, and son of Hilka, whom Zedekiah the king, this is why tongues was invented, I'm almost positive, uh, was sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, saying, now here we go, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all who were carried away captives, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Listen to what Jeremiah says, build ye houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them, take wives and begat sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give daughters to your husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased and not diminished verse 7 and seek the peace of the city wherein i have caused you to become captives and pray to the lord for it for in in that peace you shall also have peace for thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel let not your prophets or your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you neither hearken to the dreams which you've caused to be dreamed for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and I will perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me and I shall... And ye shall go, and I shall, and you shall pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. It's important to know, you know, when, when we're talking about these dreams and plans and purposes, these people were not in the position that they thought that they would ever end up at. And irregardless of what ends up happening to them, God's telling them, you can still have a life in the middle of what you didn't want to happen. They never ever thought they were going to get overrun. They never ever thought they would ever fall to Babylon because great is our king, right? But yet it happened. And I think so many times our faith is based on what we see and what we think that we know and not what God says. You know, God is God no matter what. Jesus is, is Lord of all. The, the Lord sits high and enthroned in heaven no matter what. And today, the message that I really, really want to give you and that I want you to carry forward through this whole week, through this whole year, through the rest of your lives is that no matter what happens, no matter what man does on this earth, the Lord is still God. God is still king. He's never, ever going to, to leave his throne. Jesus will always be at the right hand of the Father, and he'll, he'll always be at the right hand of the Father doing something. He's not just sitting back. He's not just watching and saying, oh, look at these silly earthlings. What are they doing? No, it says that he's ever intercedes for us. He's praying for us. He's, he's pleading on the behalf of God. He's saying, I know that they've, they're making mistakes. I see that they're making mistakes. It's okay, though, because the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. And the love that's in them is going to come forth. And I have people who are down there who are going to touch and minister to, to people who are on that earth. I have people that are lost. There's people who are still lost. And the Son of Man came, not, or came to, to seek and save all those who were lost. That was what he wanted to do. You know, we can get so wrapped into what's going on here in this world and so concerned and so wrapped up in the politics of the day that we forget that Jesus is Lord, that God is king, 
And he holds the heart of a king in his hand and he turns it whichsoever way that he wants. You know, even if this whole world were to fall apart, you're still, you still belong to the Lord. You're still the blood-bought child of the Most High God. You're still important to God. And do you know that no matter what happens in, in this world, he's going to protect you. He's going to preserve you. He's going to keep you in peace if you keep your mind stayed upon him. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, Ephesians, we, we talk about Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10, 10 through 12. It says, you know, um, oh, let's go there. How many other people besides just me have talked to people where they're in great fear over this whole situation? There's great consternation about everything that's going on. Um, verse, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, that's the best advice that you can ever give anybody. Because our own strength is going to fail. We can, we can be strong for only so long, but the Lord has infinite amounts of strength. And he's always willing to give us strength. He's always willing to, to enable us, to equip us. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. And the wiles are the methods, the schemes, and the trickery. So part of that, part of that strength is the wisdom to understand and discern the times. It's wisdom to know that what you're seeing is just a smokescreen. You know, one of the things when I was preparing for this, the Lord just kept talking to me about how this is just a vapor. This is just a, a brief second in eternity. It's not even a blip. It's just, it's so, I don't want to minimize it, but it's so small. It's so small. You know, other countries are all concerned about what we're going to do in this election because it's going to affect people all across this whole world. But in the terms of the scope of eternity, it's really just a small little segment. And I was like, okay, God, I get your point. I see what you're saying. Keep our eyes focused. Keep ourselves fixed. Colossians 3, you know, keep our minds set on the things which are above, not the things that are beneath. You know, keep ourselves set on, on the things of you. But how does that affect what's going on? Um, then he reminded me of a sermon that I taught a long time ago, like four or five years ago. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And go ahead and turn there. Paul was, um, he, had, he had discipled Timothy. And Timothy was uh, the leader of the Ephesus church. And at the time, that was the biggest church that was ever around. And he was the youngest pastor out there. There was estimates of, of that church being about 600,000 people at its, at its highest. And what was happening was people were starting to fall away. People were starting to be, you know, go back out into the world. And Timothy didn't understand what was going on, you know, and being a young person, a lot of people thought, well, maybe it's just, you know, Timothy. And Paul went to him and, and he wrote him this letter and it's, you know, towards the end of Paul's life and it, he felt it really important to him to encourage him, you know, and as you read 2 Timothy, he starts talking about preach the word, preach the word, stay on the word. 
Um, and then he starts telling him about the things that are to come. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, he says, Know this, the last, in the last days perilous times will come. Uh, for men will be lovers of them own selves, covetousness, are covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, uh, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. And, and so God reminded me that uh, for, a, for a sermon I had done before, I looked up what all of those words meant and, and just got a good picture of how the last day society was going to be. Um, that word perilous is the word kalipos, and it means that it's a treacherous, dangerous time. And what it means is that it's times that actually suck the strength right out of you. And those are definitely the days that we're living in. Without a doubt, just based on just that one word, I can tell you with certainty that we're in the last days. Because these are times that, man, you come home, you're exhausted. Just from being out, being in the world, you're just wiped out. The strength has literally been just sucked right out of you. And you can, you know, like I have a job where I pretty much work on my own through most of the day. So I have a lot of time to pray and to read the word or listen to, listen to the word. And so it's not that I'm not getting built up through the whole day on the things of God. But man, when I come home, the strength is just literally sucked out of me. And it's because of the times that we're in. But yet, God is our constant source of strength. He's our constant supply. So, you know, looking at some of these other things, lovers of, of their own selves, um, that's the Greek word philaltos, and it comes from two words which should never, ever be together. One, one is um, altos, and altos is, is, a le- or it's altos is self. And phil is the word phileo, which is a love for others. And so you put those two together, and it becomes a love of self. And so um, these are people that are completely self-absorbed. These are people that are completely self-consumed, and the primary loyalty is towards themselves. And that's one of the very first ways that that Paul tells Timothy, these are how the people are going to be. They're not looking out for the good of others. They're completely looking out for themselves. That describes people of today. There's not a lot of outreach that goes on naturally. People will do things, sure, but there's always a, a secondary motive that goes on behind it. There's always some sort of benefit for them. Um, and it goes along with uh, boasters and braggarts and covetousness. Covetousness is a, is a desire for more and more. It's the inability to say no to anything. They just want to keep going. They just want to keep, keep gathering. And, and that's the way that society has turned. Um, braggarts, boasters, uh, people who overinflate their own self, self-worth, Blasphemers. I, I really thought this was interesting. Um, we think of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what this word is actually talking about. What this word is talking about, it's talking about rude and crude speech. You know, from the time where I was in high school in the 80s to the, till now, it's amazing the jokes that, that kids tell, that people tell, the things that people will say in a workplace. Like, I don't know. I was raised a little bit more traditionally that you didn't say certain words in front of ladies. You know, that was man talk, right? <laughs> Shouldn't be anybody's talk, but that's the way I was raised. That was man talk. But now, oh, people don't have any problem saying the rudest, crudest things. And people will cast judgments and aspersions on other people 
easily without even thinking about it. And it, it just shouldn't be. It's a sign of the times. It's, it's just where we're at. Um, you know, they're un, unthankful and un, unholy. When you look at those two words in combination with each other, it's talking about a removal of God from our entire system. And there's been a, a concentrated effort along those lines for years, for years. And then people wonder, well, where is morality gone? Where is morals gone? Well, you've taken away, you know, the, the stone. You've taken away the, the cornerstone of the whole thing by removing God from everything. You want separation of church and state, but now you're getting the society that you have. The world's a mess, and they don't know how to fix it. Um, I take psychology classes at Hancock, and it's amazing to me. Um, I really enjoy them. They're really great classes. But you talk to some of the, the teachers and even some of the students, and you know they're just full of ideas and answers. And everybody is really quick and accurate in pointing out everything that's wrong, but not one of them really have an answer. And the answers that they have are based upon the wisdom of man, which is very, very scary because nobody ever talks about, you know, God. Nobody ever talks about his word. But yet the, the word says in uh, Psalms 119, 105, you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we wonder where we're going. And, and we're thinking, oh, well, we're so smart. We just know right where we're going, but we're neglecting the word. And the word is the lamp to our feet so we can see what, where we're going, what steps we're taking, and to our path so that we can, we can safely travel down a path and know where we're going and get to our destination safely, arrive properly. Can you imagine being in a car and driving without headlights? You know, I remember as a kid we used to do that. <laughs> you know, you're driving home at night and you turn off the headlights and you're trying to see. You know, it's a whole lot easier to drive down the road at night with headlights on. It, it's not rocket science. <laughs> but, you know, we all wanted to try it. We all wanted to see, you know, how, oh, how fast can we go and how far can we go without turning on the lights? And that was all great until, you know, this little bunny ran across the road and I didn't see him until it was too late. <laughs> Poor little bunny. I hope he's in heaven. <laughs> he met his maker that night. <laughs> but I never even saw him coming. He never even saw me coming which was worse. But it all came down to we didn't have our lights on. And, you know, as Christians, we're the light of the world. We have that light inside of us. And we're, we're the ones who should be standing up for morality. We're the ones who should be standing up for the precepts of God in society. And, you know, personal, personal thing. Whenever, whenever I get up here, God always reminds me of these things, and I, I don't like sharing them. But <laughs> there's a lot of times where pastors will say, you know, it's our fault. And I sit there and go, not me. Maybe somebody else, but not me. But maybe it is. Maybe it is. You know, I, tr I try. I endeavor to be led by the Holy Spirit. I study and, and read the word and I pray and I come to church and I do all the things that I know to do, but I know there's times where God wants me to do something and I just simply don't. Right? So I'm not alone, right? 
Amen. But God is merciful, God is forgiving, and God will always, 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 always keep feeding us with strength and keep feeding us with light. Why? Because the only person who wants us to succeed more is him. Right? So, let's see, where are we? Oh, we're almost done. Um, so, talk, going back, talking about, you know, the world where it was at uh, without natural affection was one of the things that he talked about. That was families that had completely given up on each other. You know, the, the one person that you always felt like, you know, before I was saved that you could totally depend on was your family, right? But a sign of the last time, it says that uh, people will be without natural affection. Their families will turn against families. I've seen times where, where parents just completely turn away from children, and it's, it just breaks your heart. But it's just a sign of the times. And I really, one of the things that, and I, I don't really have scripture for this, but it's a strong point, and I believe that it'll bear witness with you, is things are going to get dark in this world. And we can't, like I said earlier, we can't be moved by what's going on around us we have to remain focused on who's inside of us. We have to remain focused on, on the Lord. And it, just because things are getting dark doesn't mean that things are wrong. Because at the end of the time, when, when you start reading about the last days, there's wars and rumors of wars, there's pestilence, there's floods, there's damages, there's all these things that are going wrong. It doesn't say that, you know, the world turns to God and everybody gets saved and that's how the world ends. That's not the end of the story, and that's the Bible. The Bible doesn't lie. And I think sometimes we get into this false mentality, and I don't know, maybe it's to me, but we get into this false mentality that everything's going to work out all right. Well, you know what? It is going to work out all right. But it isn't going to work out all right here because when I read the Bible, the Bible says that this earth is destined for fire, that this earth is going to be destroyed. In fact, this earth is going to become so corrupted that God will completely burn it, and a new heavens and a new earth will come down. It's pretty sad considering where it starts starts in the garden and there's great fellowship and everything's perfect and great and then sin just comes in and ruins the whole thing. But just because things go wrong, just because things go bad, kind of like these captives, you know, in, in Jeremiah, just because things don't work out the way that we think that they're going to work out doesn't mean that God's not, not in it, that God's out of touch, that God's lost something, that he's, he's neglectful, that he's forgetful, that he's forgotten anything. No, he's working his plan. And the thing that we have to remember is that God's plan goes on for generations. God doesn't work simply in the today. You know, the blip of our lives, the, the 70 to 120 years that we're here, is minuscule in, in all of eternity. And God's concerned with every single person who's ever walked this planet receiving the Lord, receiving salvation. That's the plan of God. And we can't become so enamored with what's going on in our world right now that we neglect and forget the overall plan and purpose of God, all of eternity, every soul. It's amazing. But, you know, man, so many times it's, it's so easy to just fall into that trap. Um, Psalms uh, 119, uh, verse 89, it says, Forever your word is settled in heaven. You know, in heaven, these things are already dealt with. It's all taken care of. It's just a matter of us bringing heaven to earth. You know, uh, the Lord's Prayer, it says, you know, um, things be in heaven as they are on earth. Or 
mind went blank, sorry. But that's, that's what the Lord is trying to get us to, is, is that place. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Why we look not at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. Um, we don't look at the things that are temporal, but the things that are eternal. That's what it means when God's talking about keeping yourself focused and fixed on the things that go on forever, on the things of him. Because everything that's happening, this election is temporal. We're going to do it again in four years, provided we're still here, right? Temporal means temporary. It's only a short time. It's endured for a short time. It's a season. You know, uh, summer, we just had a season. It was great. I love summer, but it's gone. And no matter how hard I wish, it's not coming back until it's time for summer again. Right? We just went through a time change this morning. Early this morning, right? And no matter how hard I wish, it's not coming back until next year when it's time to come back again. Why? Because it's ordained that way. That's the way that it's set. Well, God has a plan. And no matter what happens, God is still God. He's still in charge. He has a plan, and he's working his plan. And this is what faith is. It's trusting God enough in his plan to let him do his plan, to follow through, to support. You know, on Wednesday, I endeavored so hard to bring out something, and I just couldn't seem to get it. And the whole thing was I was trying to explain that Abraham, by faith, circumcised everybody everybody that he, he was in his household because God had a plan, and God was going to bring something forward and he didn't understand it at all. And in fact, he laughed and he mocked and he jeered is what it meant when he says that he laughed. We always give Sarah all the grief for it. But, but even though he didn't understand, he still took action upon the word. And he still did what, what God required of him, what God asked of him. And God brought that plan to pass. And that's a, a brief little snippet of the plan of God for everything. God has a plan. God has ordained certain things are going to happen. And when they happen, we don't have to be caught by surprise for them because the Holy Spirit tells us all things. And in fact, even even with uh, Abraham, he came down and he visited them and sat there at the tent and had a meal with him. And then he said, should I tell Abraham that which I'm going to do? That's how God is. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to be in the dark. He doesn't want you to be caught by surprise. And all it takes is just sitting there and listening, spending some time in prayer that's not speaking. You can always tell somebody who's mature, my opinion, somebody who's mature in in prayer um, is somebody who doesn't just go in and make their request known, but also takes the time to just sit and listen for God and let God speak to them. And, you know, people of the world do not understand that at all. They think you're crazy if you tell them that God's speaking to you until you know what's going on and they don't. Until you have understanding that's beyond what you could naturally know. And there's no other explanation except for that the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is, has revealed the things that are to come. And that's his, that's his plan and that's his desire. He doesn't want us caught off guard. Um, I've talked about this scripture a bunch of times, but First, first Peter chapter 2, um, verse 9. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, and that word, um, peculiar, we always talk about it doesn't mean strange, doesn't mean weird. 
even though the world thinks you're weird. You believe in an unseen God and you think that he talks to you. You're as weird as they come, right? That's not at all what, what that word is talking about. When you, when you look up that word, it, it means that it's a people of time. It means that they're a, of an appointed time, place, and purpose. And the more that the world gets dark, the more that it needs light. The more that the world is in confusion, the more that it needs people who have answers. The more that the world is in chaos, the more the world needs people who operate in peace. And remember what that peace was? That peace was um, wholeness, completeness, tranquility in soul, which is not affected by outward circumstances or pressures. And that was, you know, what Jesus was prophesied to, to, to bring us. We don't have to be affected by these things. We don't have to, to suffer consequences. You know, the other thing, the last thing that, that God really spoke to me about is that we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors to this planet. We were born here, but our citizenship is in heaven. And, you know, an ambassador lives in a foreign land, but they live on their own territory. Every place where, where an ambassador lives, the, the grounds where they live, is actually the country that they're from. It's their own sovereign land. So the rules of that country that they're in, so let's say like the ambassador to France, where, where they come and, and they, they would live here, the ground that they live on, that's actually France, even though it may be, you know, right here in Washington, D.C. And it's under French law. It's not under uh, American law. And that's where diplomatic immunity comes from because they're a diplomat sent to this country and they're supposed to follow the rules and the laws of their land and they're just living here. Well, you're an ambassador from heaven. We follow the rules and the laws of heaven. We have a king and he's King Jesus. We don't have a president. ouch we have a king we're under a monarchy he has the power we follow his rules we follow his leading we follow his laws now the people who are from other countries they're not supposed to just come in and and you know disregard the laws of the land because they're there to build relationships they're they're there to ensure um, good communications are going forward they're there to bring unity and harmony and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reconcile those who are outside of covenant with God, with God. I'm not saying disregard, and I'm not saying don't care about the presidency, but I'm saying don't make that your primary motive of operation. Don't make that your, your modus operandi. It, it isn't the end of the world if your person doesn't win the election. I'm going to say that one more time. It is not the end of the world if your person doesn't win the election. Amen. Right. Now, you better vote because that's our civic responsibility. That's our duty. Read Romans 13. You have an obligation. But it's not the end of the world if things don't go the way that we think that they're supposed to go because the world is on a course to go darker and darker and darker until the day star appears. Because one day, when all hope is gone, when everybody thinks, oh, it's the end, at a time when we don't even know that he's coming, the master will return. The eastern skies will split, and there'll be a rider on a white horse, and in a second, we're gone. 
And I guarantee you, you are not going to care who won the election in that moment. Every care that we have of this world that we're so wrapped up with and consumed with will pass away. And the only thing that we're going to worry about is who's going with us. It's the only thing that's going to matter. And it's going to happen. Everybody keeps saying, oh, you know, it goes on forever. No, the, the Lord is a, he's a patient farmer. He's waiting for the, the ultimate return on a seed. That's a Jewish tradition. They like to get as much as they can out of their seed. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. People who make a difference are people who uh, think this way and, and do these kinds of things. Um, you know, being a peculiar person means that you're set in, a, in an appointed time. And, and where better to be set than at a time where everybody's at a crossroads? In Jeremiah, the Bible talks about watchmen being set along the paths to watch and warn, to shout out and let you know when trouble's coming. And that, and that was an important position that, that these people were doing. Um, go with me to, real quick to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. And oh. actually, don't go there because I want to. I want to get to the last thing. But in First Kings, it's the story of Elijah, and Elijah, you know, everybody hated him. He proclaimed there wouldn't be rain, and for three years there wasn't rain. And Ahab was the leader, and Jezebel was his wife, who was more probably the leader than Ahab would have liked, and. They were upset and furious, and the people had turned away from God. And Elijah was a true prophet of God. And no matter what was happening, Elijah was staying focused and fixed on what God had said. And so when it came time to, to put his faith against the faith of, of all the rest of the people, he said, okay, I got an idea. Let's have a contest. We'll put your God, Baal, up against my God, and we'll both have sacrifices. We'll both cut up uh, bulls and stuff, and we'll put them on this sacrifice. And the God who answers by fire, well, that's God. See, he didn't just tell him, you know, my God is God. He demonstrated. And, and he had confidence that God could do things that were beyond natural ability. And so the prophets of Baal, they danced around. They cut themselves for hours and hours. They jumped and shouted and screamed and danced and twirled and did everything that they possibly could do in the flesh. And it just didn't happen. Because Baal was not God. But yet Elijah... At the time of the evening sacrifice, he says, okay, now your turn is done. Step aside. And he arranged 12 stones, one for each one of the tribes of Israel. And he set up the sacrifice. He built the altar. And then he cut the, the bull and he put the bull on there. And then he says, you know what? This is too easy. This is too easy for my God. Baal couldn't do it, but my God is much stronger than your God. So bring water. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but I just said for three years there had been a drought. So what happened? Somebody had to take, take a, a little bucket and they had to go to the nearest river, which was probably mostly dry. So then they had to go to the next one, which was probably mostly dry. So then they had to go to the next one. And years ago, I used to have it memorized how far it was, but it was quite a distance. And they'd had to truck this water up and they dumped all this water. And they dug a little trench around it and they dumped all this water. And then he said, do it again. We just got back. So they take off and they go, do it again. Do it again. Four times they dumped water on the sacrifice. And then he said, you know, God, if you're, if you're truly God, then prove who you are. 
and fire from heaven fell, consumed the offering and licked up the dust and all the water that was around. Because God is God. And God doesn't change. He's the same God now as he was then. You know, if we had faith to believe that and do that, God is still the same God. So anyways, that's why I said don't turn there. Um, Let's go to uh, Psalms 46. And this will be the last one. And this was really interesting to me. It's not a psalm I spend a lot of time in. But it was very interesting. And we'll start at verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. We can stop right there. God is present. God is help. And God, God is there. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, through, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. You know, there's trouble everywhere right now. But, you know, even though all this is happening, though the mountains are shaking and with the swelling of the waters, um, there is a river, verse 4, the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the holy place and the tabernacles of God. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. You know, I had, you know me, I have to look up words. I look up early, it's talking about at the daybreak, at the dawn. You don't have to wait for God. God's waiting on us. He isn't going to wait until the last minute, till the last second, and come in at the very last second and save the day. God does it in the first minute of the game. We always think that it's at the last minute because that's when our patience is out, right? But the truth is, is God does it early. We're not on the same timetable as God. The heathens raged, verse 6, and the kingdoms were moved, and he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. And when it talks about melting, it's talking about everybody losing courage. So all these people who think that they're right, when God speaks, all of a sudden they're not right. All of a sudden, everything that they think that they know it really doesn't matter. Their confidence has waned. Their strength has melted. Um, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And that word refuge actually means set up on a cliff and untouchable. So when troubles and trials and tribulations come, when the world seems like it's falling apart, when everything that is around you is shaking, when nothing seems solid and nothing seems right, God is still God. And God has taken us And he's placed us in a position where we're away from harm, where we can't be hurt. We may feel like everything's going wrong all around us and that it's going to be the end of the world, but that's not at all the case because God is who he is. He is our protector. He is our deliverer. He is our salvation. And he's set us upon a a rock. He set us on on the cliff where we're away from from the troubles of the world. Um, Come and behold, verse 8, the works of the Lord, what desolations the earth has made. Um, He makes wars to cease, and the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, and he cuts the spears in sunder. He burns the chariot in fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You know, when he's talking about the, the God of Jacob, it's the word Elohim. And what Elohim is, is that's the supreme God. It's not a word used by uh, other, other religions, other people. It's not 
you know, like the word for Baal, people who would consider Baal to be a god, they don't use that word. Elohim is specifically reserved for the one true supreme God. And that's who's with us. We don't have to be afraid no matter what happens. God is God. And I know I've said that a million times today, but I'm going to say it again. God is God. And we cannot belittle. We can't take him for, for granted. We, we're his. We belong to him. We're the sheep of his pasture. He's going to protect us. He's going to preserve us. He's greater than anything that's going on in this world. He's greater than anything that you will ever face. A lot of us face circumstances that are overwhelming and, and beyond our natural ability to, to deal with. God always makes a way. He's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And so today, as you prepare to go out into the world and face whatever you're facing and deal with whatever you have to deal with, know that God goes with you. Know that he has uh, plans worked out. He has plans set aside for your future. And no matter where your future takes you, he goes with you. He went with the, the Hebrew children into the fiery furnace. He's definitely going to go with you as you traverse around Santa Maria and the Central Coast and wherever else you may go. And God is good, and he loves you. Amen? Amen. Does anybody need prayer? So, pastor said I could keep you guys all, you know, 10, 10 minutes later, whatever, but I'm still letting you out five minutes early. So, if you'll all stand. Make sure to greet pastors when they come back. Um,